0: I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's good to, to come through to your homes this uh, afternoon once again. Um, it feels like a morning because I'm in church here, I, I wanted to do this thing from church so that I at least maintain the feeling of being here. I I love this place, I love C4, and I love to be in the realm and in the area of of, of church. Um, Yes, I'm coming through to your homes. Uh, I hope you are safe, I hope you take care of yourself. Um, This thing is uh, dangerous and it remains a, a threat. Um, uh, to, to humanity. So I, along with many other people, want to encourage you to be responsible uh, for your health and your safety and and be safe. Um, I love you. I, I want to see you again, uh, God willing, very, very soon. Um, I will always uh, ask Manabetsu for your prayers, um, for, for me to do what I'm doing, for me to be able to do what I'm called to do, I really need your prayers. Uh, Paul talks about, I covet your prayers. It's a very strong word. I, I desire, I yearn for, for your prayers. I am who I am. I am what I am. I'm able to do what I am doing. Uh, through your prayers, so, so continue to, to pray for me. We, unfortunately, have been cut um, off uh, for a while. I am missing a lot of you. Um, I miss to see your faces. I, I really, really miss to be in your company. And, but, but God willing, um, and if we are patient, we should be able to see each other very 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 soon. I want to share with you, Benavitu, um quickly uh, um, with the help of the Holy Spirit and your prayers uh, from a very familiar passage, um, uh, the Epistle of uh, Paul to the Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. My machine, okay, Philippians chapter 4. And if you're able to stand wherever you are, uh, please do. Uh, I'm not able to stand, but if you're able to stand, uh, stand as we uh, read uh, the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Father, we want to thank you for the word that has been read, Heavenly Father, to the privilege of our hearing and understanding. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. We love your word, we respect your word, we accept its authority over our lives and over our existence in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, bless your word and bless your people. In Jesus' name, I humbly pray, amen. But anyways, I want to talk about the antidote to worry. An antidote to worry. An antidote to worry. So, an antidote, it's anything that fights against something else. If you are down with a flu, you have a bug or a virus and your body has a flu virus inside of you, what you need is an antidote. So you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you medication. That medication is in fact an antidote of the bug that's inside your body. So it's basically the opposite of that drug. Th- that's how it can nullify the drug. It has to be the opposite of that. So if you have a flu virus, the doctors give you another virus. So and, and, so that which fights a virus is also a virus. And, and I wanted to use this word and for you to understand. So that what I'm going to share with you is to basically give you an antidote of worry, something that you need to fight worry. Because worry is dangerous. Worry is an enemy of our faith. In fact, worry is an indictment of God, if you think about it, uh, which is why Jesus warned us very sternly: not to worry, not to to be concerned, not to worry, because as soon as worry takes hold of your life, w- your life is in is in is in trouble. Um, there is a pastor who we he was a guest uh, in our church, and he he shocked all of us by saying. The Bible, there is no way in the Bible where it says, don't smoke. But we don't smoke. We teach people not to smoke and people can understand that smoking is dangerous. I don't even have to give you verses for it. You just know. And he said, and yet absolutely nothing in the Bible where they say don't smoke. But the Bible tells us, not to worry. And he said, "Bazaloni, if you had to choose between smoking and worry, I would allow you to smoke because the Bible said nothing about it. And that which the Bible said, don't do, take it very, very seriously. Now we live in an environment and a time of real concern, sicknesses around us, the coronavirus taking the lives of people is beginning to hit very close to home because we begin to put names to faces and, and faces to the numbers and, and the, the tendency and the propensity to worry it's almost natural, but I want us to reflect on the word of the Lord that tells us not to, to worry. You see, my brothers and my sisters, the mind is, is like a sponge. Uh, it, it pulls everything effortlessly. A sponge, if you put it in water, it doesn't even have to work. It just pulls the water towards itself. But to get the water out of the sponge, there has to be some pressure. So you need to go take your hand, squeeze the sponge for the water to leave the sponge. Now your mind is also like a sponge. It pulls things. It pulls pictures. It pulls people. It pulls ideas. It pulls words. It pulls suggestions. It pulls images. It gets nudged to move this way or that way. Your mind is like a sponge. On any single day, there is so much that goes into your mind and your mind assesses on every day, at every moment, what is right, what is good, what is appropriate, what is wrong, what is bad, what is inappropriate. Your mind is busy, it's like a sponge. And very often because of that, your mind draws a lot of things that make you and I to worry. And and for, for the mind to squeeze things out, there has to be either pressure or deliberate intention from you and I to squeeze out that which we don't want in our mind. You've heard me say this thing before, that your mind is highly and heavily contested. People are at war with and for your mind. And, and, and for our reflections this morning, I want to suggest three people who are really, really after your mind. The first one is God Almighty. The Bible says in the scripture we've read, uh, Philippians chapter 4, that think on these things. I mean, for you to think, you need your mind. The first psalm in the Bible, Psalm 1, it says, a blessed man meditates upon the law of God day and night. To meditate, you need your mind. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, you, Timothy, study yourself, study to show yourself approved, a workman who is worthy, rightly dividing the weight, for you to study, you need your mind. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind which was in Christ also be in you. In other words, allow yourselves to be possessed by God and by a Christ-like nature. Let your mind be controlled by God. I mean, not only is God after your mind, the devil is also after your mind. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, the Bible says, and the serpent said to Eve. Now, the serpent said to Eve. The serpent went for Eve's mind. How did he go to Eve's mind, pastor, you ask? The Bible says we must put on The armor of God, in Ephesians chapter 6, in order to be able to withstand what the Bible calls are the wiles of the enemy. The wiles. It mainly means the plans or the ideas. Uh, In other words, what the devil is concocting or what he's planning. The Bible says we must put the whole armor of God because the devil is planning. The devil has... Wiles, okay. The Greek word there is methodalia. The devil has a particular method of approaching us. So when the devil went to Eve, he just didn't go random. The Bible calls that a while or a method, or a plan, or a or a system of doing things. Second Corinthians says, "Be not ignorant of the devil's." devices, the devil's devices, in other words, the tools. The devil has a plan, the devil has a toolkit, the devil has a device. As a matter of fact, the Greek name for the devil is Diabolo. Dia means through, bolo means throw. In other words, the devil always in the business of throwing ideas through to your mind. He just says one thing to your mind and he gets you eating out of his palm. He went to Eve, grabbed the mind of Eve, made a suggestion, and the rest, as they say, is history, the rest, as they say, is history. If we are honest enough, Barnabas, we would also know that not only is God after our minds, nor the devil after our mind, we are also after our own mind. We have the capacity to fool ourselves or to give truth to our minds. But we we tend to fool ourselves. Normally, you and I and people generally like to say, you know, I don't need Nobody, I can make it on my own. You see, you are fooling yourself. You can't make it on your own. In fact, before you leave your house, you are indebted to so many people because before you leave your house, you took a bath and you used soap. You are indebted to the French because they are the ones who founded soap. You use the towel. You are indebted to the Turks. They are the ones who invented the towels. I mean, you ate some col- conflicts, if you like me. You are indebted to someone in Illinois, in the U.S. They are the ones who invented conflicts. You've had coffee. You are indebted to somebody in Kenya, somebody in Burundi, somebody in Ethiopia, somebody in Brazil, somebody in West Africa. Even before you leave your house you are indebted to somebody else. Because we are all connected, you can't make it on your own. Even in your spiritual life, you are indebted to somebody else. Somebody led you to the gospel. Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's nurturing your gift. Somebody's lifting you up. Somebody's giving you encouragement. You you are indebted to somebody else. But it's easy for your heart to be fooled to say, I don't need nobody else, I can make it on my own. No, it's a lie. You have been designed, built, created for community, for you to contribute, and for you to accept other people's contributions. So Paul says in in the scripture that we have read, finally, my brothers and my sisters, whatsoever is, and then he lists these things, and he says, please, Think on these things—things things that are admirable, things that are of good report, things that are good. The Bible says we need to think on these things. We need to keep our minds occupied on 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 these things. He says, "Finally, finally, my brothers." And uh, I normally joke that "finally" is a word that my children enjoy the most because. Finally means as a preacher, I'm finishing my sermon. I'm going home. But also, finally is the way that people who don't like church enjoy the most. Uh, if they were to come to church and they must sit through a long praise and worship, they must sit through a long uh, testimony, they must sit through a long announcements, and when they hear the preacher say "finally," they think, "Oh, you know, finally, um, we're, we're going home." But Paul says, finally, not in a sense that it's all said and done, finally, but he says, finally, in the Greek idea of leopon. Leopon, which means I have actually reserved the best for last. In other words, I've been talking to you about things, but this one that's coming after here, I've reserved it for last because I want your fullest attention. Now, finally, it's not where you shut off. It is not where you think, oh, now I'm going home. It's not where you begin to grab your phone and check your messages. Finally, in the biblical sense, it's here is the best that we have kept for last. So Paul says, I've spoken to you, uh, uh, Philippians, Finally, uh, 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 finally, 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 before I leave, make sure that you get this. Because this is the most important thing I'm going to say. And this is how God works. God works on a finally basis. Even the word that you heard last week, God has reserved the best this week. And this week's word is many times better than the word you had last week because of the concept of Leopold. I have reserved the best for last. In other words, it's not over until I say it is over. So, so Paul says, finally, my brothers, uh, and the King James Version says, my brethren, my brethren, very, very important concept in the Bible. It means those I share a womb with. We come from the same womb. That is why many versions interpreted that way to be brothers and sisters. We share the same word. He says, finally my brothers and sisters, whatsoever is good, brilliant, of, God, of good report, think on these things. Because if you don't think on these things, you're going to concentrate on something else. You are going to be thinking about something else. Because remember when I started, I told you, your mind is like a sponge. It just draws and draws and draws unintentionally. It draws things in a very passive mood. Things just go into your mind. And before you know it, you worry yourselves about things that you should not be worrying about. You worry about things that are yet to happen. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has not happened yet. Let tomorrow itself." Because if you worry about tomorrow, you are moving into depression. If you worry about yesterday, you are moving into regret. Two of the things that should should not be uh, in the life of of a a, a believer. So he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is of good report, and so on and so on, think on these things. it is the same Paul who wrote Benavizu in 2 Corinthians, okay, chapter 10, verse 14. He says to us, okay, for the weapons of this warfare are not carnal. The weapons of this warfare are not carnal. okay? When the enemy fights us, we don't see him because if we were to see the enemy tomorrow, if we were to see the devil today, We will take out guns and shoot him. We will take bombs and bomb him. If we have a knife, we'll take a knife and try to stab him to death because he's our name. Paul says the enemy the weapons of this warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, here is an interesting idea. The word stronghold in the Bible days, used to be a military term. A stronghold was a fortress. A fortress was generally a building, strong walls that was constructed generally on top of a hill, okay? To protect the city, to protect the king, to protect uh, 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 the people. In other words, to build it in such a way that people from outside can access it easily. That's the fortress. Okay, But the Greeks, as the New Testament Bible was, re- was, re- was written and interpreted, they reinterpreted the word fortress into prison. Okay, The original Greek word is akomia. Then it was reinterpreted not just fortress, but also prison. Now think about it, a fortress is a building designed to protect people inside the building against people outside of it. A prison is a building designed and built to defend and to protect people outside of it from the people inside of it. Now, the Bible says for weapons of our warfare are not carnal. okay, they are both a fortress as well as a prison. They are both designed to protect from outside coming in and to protect from inside coming out weapons of our warfare. Now. If our, the weapons of our warfare were carnal, it would either be a prison or a fortress. Okay? But when we defend in the spiritual realm, in this fight that is not carnal, we need to think up of our minds both in terms of a fortress as well as a prison. A fortress as well as a prison. In other words, when I hear a good word from the Lord, my mind becomes a prison. That which I heard stays inside, never to leave. Okay? But that which comes from outside, the desires of the world, the advertising and all these suggestions that are worldly that have nothing to do with God, the weapons of this warfare are designed to stop them from coming in. So, finally, my brothers, I want to say you need to have something to fortify your mind. And an antidote to worry starts with how you fortify your mind, how you strengthen the walls of your mind, how you strengthen the design of your thinking patterns, the things that you do the habits that you dis- that you develop around how you think. Otherwise, if you don't, my brothers and my sisters, your brain and your mind is going to be like a sponge which pulls anything and everything. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is number one, you need to know that my suggestions to you this morning is that you need to fortify your mind in order to design and build an antidote for worry. Fortify your mind, because generally you worry about things that are yet to happen, that may or may not happen. And even when they happen, you don't know where God's grace is going to come through for you. You don't know how God is going to come through for you. So there's absolutely no need uh, to worry. How do I fortify my mind, Pastor, you ask? What are the things that I need to do to fortify your, your mind? I'm glad you asked. Follow me. I want to share a couple of things with you. Number one, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. What is the antidote for worry? The first antidote for worry is joy. So rejoice in the Lord, my brothers. And I say again, rejoice. Rejoice, the word kairo in Greek, It, it, it means leap, it means be excited, it means throw caution to the wind and be happy. It's funny, that's what it means. And Paul says, please, in fact, he doesn't say please, he says, do that. Now, the reason why I'm saying he says do that is because the, 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 if you really look at the grammar, the word rejoice in the Lord is what is called in the English grammar is in an imperative mood. Imperative mood means it's not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation, you are being commanded to do. It's like a soldier when he's being told, Hold your fire. You, you see, the commander speaks in an imperative mood, Hold your fire. In other words, stop shooting. It's not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation, it's not something you think about, it's something you do because the commander has said. Now, Paul uses this language in an imperative mood and he says, my brothers and my sisters, I'm saying unto you, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, be happy. Praise the Lord, okay? We worship the Lord for who he is. We praise the Lord for what he has done, okay? You say, but I can't praise the Lord sometimes because he has done nothing. Oh yes, he has done a lot for you, okay? First of all, he raised you up this morning. Second of all, he didn't give you just food, but he also gave you an appetite. Do you know how many people today can't appreciate their food because they don't have an appetite because they are sick? And God has given you that. God has given you a bed as well as sleep. God has clothed you, but he has also clothed you in your right mind. You are able to hear me today. God has done so many things just today That you could not do yourself. And therefore, you have to be happy. If you think about that, you have reason to be happy because God has been good to you. So he says, rejoice in the the Lord and in an imperative mood. The second thing in the grammar, not only is this word in an imperative mood that says we must do it, The second thing is that it's in the present tense. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, keep on rejoicing because it's something that is happening now. It's in the present tense. And Paul goes and repeats it and he says, I say again, rejoice. Hold the fire. Hold the fire. I'm telling you twice. I'm telling you something that you must do, something that is good for you, something that is important for your soul, and I'm telling you twice for you to keep doing it. Now, there was a, a story, I think I shared it before, about this old man who walked into church and he was jumping for joy. He jumped up and down. and. In a way that was a little bit unusual. And people close to him asking me, Hey, what, what happened? You know, what's what you happy today? And he says, You know what? I just got robbed on my way to church. Oh, what happened? We saw it together. He says, No, oh, I'm fine. Praise the Lord. And he jumps up and down. He can't even wait for church to start. He's really happy. He said, No, 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 hang on. But you've just been robbed. I mean, what how can he be so happy? And he says, I've got three things why I'm happy. Number one, they robbed me, but they did not kill me. No, no, okay, that makes sense. Number two, they robbed me, but I did not have much, so they could only take whatever was on me. I still have a lot of things that they did not take. Number three, he says, they robbed me. I didn't have to rob them. And that's why I am thankful to God. And he continued jumping for joy. You see, this is the kind of joy Paul is talking about. The joy that has to come inside of you. The joy that is bubbling up inside of you because your mind is right. The joy that is inside of you, the joy that you understand is good for your soul. The joy that doesn't have to work wait for a, a praise and worship team to start a song, or a choir to sing, or for someone to really come on you, to bring you, no. The joy that is welling inside of you. That is the sort of uh, joy uh, uh, Paul is, 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 is talking about. A joy that says, I am so happy. Okay, But you say, but nah, sometimes I'm not happy in life sometimes life happens sometimes life is difficult sometimes i'm flat broke yes you will be flat broke and then you will realize that god is a supplier of all of your needs according to his riches in glory you say but sometimes i'm so lonely i don't have no friends yes so that you learn that god is a friend that sticks closer to any brother Okay? You say, Oh you know, I'm so I'm happy, I'm sad, because you know, people that I trusted have stabbed me in the back. Yes, they stabbed you in the back to remind you that you are in front of them. My brothers and my sisters, once you start to understand the state of your mind that is supposed to be, you realize that you have no basis, you have no need to be worried, because, to be worried because God is taking care of you. God has done so much, and God continues to do so much in your life. So He says, "Rejoice in the Lord." I say unto you, rejoice. I said it's in an imperative mood, which commanded to do. I said it's in the present tense, which means it must be done now. Finally, what I didn't tell you is that it's in an active mood. In other words, the person who reads the scripture is talking to. The person who's hearing the scripture is talking to. It's not in a passive mood. When I say rejoice in the Lord and I say unto you rejoice, it's talking to the subject. So as I'm reading it, the Bible is talking to me. As you hearing me, the Bible is talking to you. That's antidote. Uh, number one, for us to build the walls of praise around our minds. The second one is to build the walls of patience. Now, if you read properly, the Bible says in the book of James, uh, count it all joy uh, as you go through diverse temptations. And James says those temptations are there to build a character of patience In you now, that word patience is talking about the ability and the capacity to bear difficulty. Okay, but the Paul in in the book of Philippians talks about um, uh, where we read we must be patient with people. So, because people are the ones that really get us to worry. We don't always worry about things until people make them real to us. Okay. You, you, you could not be having money in your bank account, but you are going to worry more when somebody tells you that you don't have money in your bank account, almost like somebody confirms that you don't have money in your bank account. You move from concern to real worry. Okay. So, so you need to build patience with people because the enemy has a way Of using people to make you mad. The enemy has a way of using people to make you upset. The enemy has a way of making, uh, to use people to make you forget about even the things I've already said now. So people can really, really, really rally you up. The Bible says we must build patience around people. The final point I want to share with you is if you really think about it worry as I said in my opening okay, it's an indictment on God so once I worry about it I sometimes unwittingly and unwittingly sometimes say this issue is too big, even for God. I, I'm saying, yeah, I know God is great. I I know God is loving. I know all about those things, but this one, it would seem like, is bigger than God. And, and the moment you get there, spiritually, that's an indictment to God, you're almost dead, okay? Which is why you must never allow worry in your life. You must be so alive to it, you must be so vigilant. You can't be concerned about things, you can't pray over things, you can, you, 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 things will happen, but the Bible says we must not worry. We must never give up on God. We must never elevate anything Above God. The the, the weapons that are not colored enable us to pull down strongholds and to pull anything and everything that exalts itself above God. Now, situations must never be allowed to elevate themselves above God. So when we worry to a point where we are writing an indictment to God, that is concerning. And you know, my brothers and my sisters, my teaching and my, my my exhortation to you is to never get to a point where your situation, in your mind at least, is bigger than God. I want to tell you today, if I were to break about my God in closing, is that God, whatever happens, wherever I find myself, I understand that God is way too omnipotent to be weak. I must always understand that God is way too omniscient to be dumb. God remains forever always. Wherever, whatever is happening, God is way omnipresent to be upset. God is way too right to be wrong in his way. God is way too loving not to care. God is forever punctual. To be late. Whenever he comes, he is right on time. And the word of God and what God says is way too exact to be in error. Now, those are the principles that you must think about so that whenever you go through a situation that drags you to worry, you must understand that I have the power in my mind. I have the word of the Lord. I have the truth of God. To pull down this idea because it's a stronghold that is trying to take root in my mind. That nothing can exalt itself above God. I will allow nothing to be bigger than the God of Israel. Nothing, no situation, no person... No lie, no statement, no picture, no idea can be higher than the God that we serve. He remains the Lord of hosts, the God who created everything from the beginning, the God who everything owes is existence to, everything. Strengthen your mind, my brothers and my sisters. Fortify your minds so that there is no room for worry in your mind, but only prayer in your mind, where you can take everything in supplication to our God, who is forever alive, who can hear us. In Jesus' name, thank you. Praise the Lord. Father, we want to thank you for your weight. You are wonderful. You are gracious. You are so good, oh God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us keep our minds stayed on anything and only that which is good and of good to report. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.